it's it's my friend Claire. How are you? Hey, how are you doing today, Zach? Good to see um, you. I'm pretty good. Uh, I got some good news for you. You want? Ooh, you ready for I it? I love good news. Let's hear it. So I checked the website last night because you know I'm obsessed with data and numbers, and we're at like 2,700 downloads so far after just our first two episodes. So, oh, that's that feels good to have I know. that validation of our hard work. That's great. Well, or we're putting people to sleep all over the world, which is also <laughs> a you know a great feeling. So. <laughs> right. If we serve a purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, that was great news. So congratulations. Um, again, you had a great idea. But you know, one of the pieces of feedback that we keep getting is to do some kind of bonus content that's more kind of just off the rails, off script. And so I thought we could just get together this morning and see what's going on. Um, All right. And hopefully our listeners can get to know us a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. I've got my cup of tea. You got your cup of tea? You ready? Uh, Yeah. Well, I know you love your tea, Zach, and don't even drink coffee, which makes me a little distrustful of you as a human, (laughs) but (laughs) I still like you. It's one of my red flags. Um, But (laughs) yeah, you know, I don't do the caffeine. I haven't done caffeine for years. And people always ask me, you know, is it hard to wake up in the mornings? And really? It's even better because I don't have to wait till that, you know, third cup of coffee to get off the ground. But um, I think this is exhibit A as to why you might be a cyborg. (laughs) Exhibit B would be how much you like data and technology, which thankfully for me, you play that role for Art Snap very well. Well, but I have the other side of my brain where I like the art and the creativity. So really just got to work on 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 both sides. Yeah, you're a renaissance man is what you are. Something. So right before you called, I was online trying to figure out if I could find a flight to Venice this year because it's the Biennale, which is, um, well, every two years, it is the kind of Olympics of the art world where countries from all over participate. I think it's 90 countries um, curate different shows around the city. And it really is kind of this contemporary art mega fest. And so I'd love to be able to go. It goes from April all the way to November. So I'm trying to find a spot somewhere this spring that I yeah. can sneak away for a few days. Oh, that sounds awesome. Have you been to Venice before? I have, yeah. So I was there most recently last year, and it's a pretty amazing city. I mean, don't go during high season because there are people just crawling <laughs> everywhere. You can't even walk. But uh, it's it's a pretty amazing space, and of course the food's great, the wine's great, and the art is fantastic. The Guggenheim is there, of course. I would love to go on an off season because I'm I'm like kind of crowd averse, um, which. You know, I remember hearing after COVID, remember when all tourism was shut down, it just stands out in my mind whenever I hear Venice about people describing what Venice looked like after that like mega tourism got paired way, way, way back Mm -hmm. and the cruise ship stopped coming and, you know, the waterways cleared up and dolphins were sighted for the first time and the channels or whatever. And I, even though I haven't been to Venice, sadly, even though I'm an art major, it's pathetic. I haven't been to Venice. I just have now this picture of what it like looks before and after the crowds. Yeah. It's kind of wild. And of course with the Biennale year, hundreds of thousands of people descend on Venice to see this um, kind of collective art show. Mm-hmm. And as an environmentalist also, um, I'm always concerned about what is this doing to the city? And there's kind of this always this juxtaposition of, you know, great art and people wanting to experience this fantastic um, opportunity, but then also the taxing nature of these types of things on any city, but especially one that's really floating on water and that, you know, um, has clean water issues to start with. So it's really a fascinating kind of 
conversation when you get into it. I get it. I'm ex- I'm excited. I wish I, you know, wasn't running a small business with small kids in my house and I would jump on a plane and fly with you. Yeah, we've talked about maybe doing a remote location show. So maybe I'll take lots of pictures and we can find a way to, thanks to our right. recording platform, maybe still do a show from there. All right. We can be connected worldwide. Yeah. Well, more on Definitely. that soon. But how was your week going? Oh, you know, just living the dream, teaching lots of art classes. Um, my studio, we offer classes for, you know, down to preschool age where we like have this art history rich program. And I'm not trying to plug my business, but just to give you an idea of my week, it's like I kind of flip flop between teaching older um, you know, like middle school teenagers and then all the way down to preschoolers. So I yeah, I love it. I love it. I love seeing those That's kids great. like get so excited about art. Uh, you know, one thing if I were to like get into a conversation about art education is I have to constantly battle against this idea that art education, I guess, is supposed to be this like one and done drop in. Um, and I think my customers are used to that, you know, maybe that wine and design kind of <laughs> format that I'm I guess, trying to constantly buck against without putting down the, that style of like entertainment, you know? I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of doing that kind of, I don't know, Saturday you know, afternoon. <laughs> I, I actually haven't, but I know a lot of people who do it. And it's an interesting idea that popped up when it, when is that like maybe 15, 20 years ago and got really popular for a while. I mean, the one thing it does do is gets it gets people kind of creative and gets a paintbrush in their hand and kind of gives them a little bit of a snapshot of what it might be like to actually, you know, take on a creative craft, but at the same time I guess it can be a real challenge if people's idea of art is that it's, you know, quick and informal and disposable and doesn't have kind of the the formal training behind it that a lot of artists actually have. You know, we we try to build those skills and I compare it a lot to, you know, look at the arts in general, like the big category of arts, meaning I think a lot of people find music more accessible as listeners, right? Like you Mm -hmm. might not be a musician, but music speaks to everybody um, and people partake in that and it can find it very moving. I would dare say even more than visual arts because accessibility to go see visual arts and be on the cutting edge of what's happening in the visual arts. Mm-hmm. Um, so where am I going with this thought? Um, like, so comparing music, I guess I've been thinking about this a lot lately because my studio has both music and art. You know, you don't get calls from parents saying, I want my child to just come in on this Saturday and have one lesson with the violin just because they have cousins <laughs> in town and want to have a fun, yeah, just want to have a fun <laughs> afternoon with today. the violin. We're just going to go try the violin out. <laughs> right. Like you and I wouldn't go and do that as like a bonding experience and like, <laughs> you know, ask for a music lesson. Friday night think, violin <laughs> lessons, you know? <laughs> right. Unless you were setting up like, okay, every Friday between now and, you know, the next five years, you and I are going to learn uh, the discipline of the violin. And then maybe then could we do some performance that would give us satisfaction and, I don't know, create a moving piece. Uh, there's just more of like a uh, overall understanding that music is this discipline that you only reach with the scaffolding of skills and hours and hours of like rote memorization and determination and time. And well, I think about, you know, sculpture and even some painting, I, I, 
You know, one of my favorite artists is Mark Rothko, and I hear notoriously people say things like, well, you know, it took him five minutes to do two color paintings. And, you know, he just slapped a little little paint on that canvas and kept going and made 3,000 of them. And that's not true, right? And, and I think a lot of these artists bring years of um, in-depth work and training and um, maybe they, you know, the, the whole historical concept of the academy and like learning these formal aspects of art and form and function. Um, sculpture is the same way. It's easy to walk into a room with a very simple sculpture and be like, oh my gosh, that took, took them five minutes to create that. Meanwhile, there's a lot that goes into that process. And um, so I think it's easy for you know, an outsider to, to kind of write that off while, uh, meanwhile, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, one of the reasons like you and I even wanted to do this podcast was because I think people need more information and education in order to appreciate and get more from the visual arts, specifically the modern visual arts, than, um, again, to compare to music. Music is more, of course, you can have a deeper level of understanding if you are a musician and you know when like, you know, whatever, I can't even speak to the terms like key change and the elaborate things that might be going on in a symphony that I'm not going to catch. Um, but that level of enjoying a modern piece of art like Rothko, you know, that takes, it almost takes like a museum docent to kind of educate and bring people that appreciation on a deeper level. Yeah, I mean, I would also kind of argue that, you know, you can have a really emotional and wonderful experience with a piece of art without the context. And what we do on the show is kind of create context and share the stories. On the other hand, um, I can walk into a room with a Rothko, and I think I did for the first time, and I was just mesmerized, right? So you walk in and you're just having this experience, or you walk into an installation, or you walk into a sculpture room, um, or a room with a sculpture, whatever, like that space feels like, and then it can move you. Then you learn the context and you say, oh, wow, that gives you right, even that's kind another of a broader layer. feel. And I don't want to give too much away on the Rothko because we're going to do a future episode on this. I know, I was going to say, this. your our coming I know, up but... episode will be you convincing me, <laughs> um, which will be fun. I actually took someone to a Rothko exhibition who doesn't like Rothko, and they walked in and were like, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. They all look alike. It took a guy five <laughs> minutes. And then by the end of it, they actually did have a deeper appreciation because they did have the context and understood the depth of both technical skill but also the emotional um, elements that went into the work. But I bet that was almost credited to you. They were there visiting with a friend who was passionate about that artist. And that is going to se not sell someone on it, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so a good example for to like get off of Rothko so we don't, you know, like spoil yeah, it. Don't spoil it too much. <laughs> but down at uh, one of my favorite museums, the VMFA, Virginia Museum of Fine Arts in Richmond, they had a Howardina Pendel exhibit. And um, she loved doing hole punches a lot in her art, which here I am like a early childhood educator. I'm like hole punches, art, stencils, color. She even sprayed perfume on some of her canvases as part of the experience. <laughs> wow. So this whole, uh, you know, like exhibit on her and the first few paintings are polka dots and some of the dots are ellipses. And, you know, one in particular just had a lot of red dots on it. And not really like Yayoi Kusama-ish, but like layered, like hole punches, stencils, whatever. And it would have been something that I would have looked at for 20 seconds and moved on. Like, okay, great, you know, small canvas, dots. Then we took the tour. And again, I'm a huge fan of the docents that 
always sign up for the family friendly mm-hmm. one because they bring like props and they talk to the children. And in my mind, like it's a way better tour. Um, she talked about that specific painting and said, you know, Howardina Pendel as a young black girl traveling with her father through the South hadn't experienced that level of um, prejudice her father had. They stopped at a soda fountain in Kentucky. Dad and her got a root beer float. Dad kind of knew what was coming, but the little girl hadn't been exposed to it yet. She lifted Mm. up her mug and saw a giant red sticker, red dot on the bottom of her mug. And she looked at her dad, saw the same, was like, why do we have these stickers on the bottom of our mugs? And her dad just kind of hung his head and was like, oh, I was hoping you wouldn't notice, honey. Like, that's the way it is around here. Like, they're giving us special glasses to drink out of because we are black Mm. and it was just so jarring for her that that red dot shows up in her artwork all that that story is to say like i wouldn't have gotten that from that painting had i not learned that story about her life and what that meant to her in a nutshell sorry to ramble on about this long story but that's why i enjoy teaching and why i wanted to do this podcast to reach like a larger audience of adults yeah, no, it's not a ramble at all. I mean, I think that's a, a really important example of how the context creates um, kind of purpose for for the art and for the for the viewer as well. And that's kind of, I guess, going back to art education. You're trying to instill um, in the students a lot of different things. You're trying to give them technique, even though they're preschoolers. They're probably just making, you know, pools of brown paint at the end of the day. <laughs> Toddler brown is a color. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know part of it is creating technique, but giving them kind of this creative side of their brain, getting that active, just giving them a paintbrush and a um, a pair of scissors to kind of do something creative, kind of gets that juice flowing. Um, but then also kind of creating some kind of foundation for, like you mentioned, art history for young kids. Like I, I can't even imagine how you begin kind of pepper that in so that as they get older, they appreciate that when they go to museums and view art and experience it in different ways. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, I get a lot of phone calls where people want to drop in and just have that wine and design experience. And I love sending them down the street, you know, four blocks down. There's a fabulous woman named Michelle who owns the wine and design here in Fredericksburg. And she does great activities. And, you know, again, these grandparents are giving their grandkids a fabulous weekend when they visit. Um, But I guess I don't like when people let that mentality bleed into, they don't separate it out as like, okay, we're doing this as just like a dabble entertainment. We're painting the pumpkin patch, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's fall. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a good time. But let's not think that that is art education. Well, I think you're doing a great thing and um, you've got a great set of students who care about art and want to be there and their parents care about art, which is why they're sending them. So shout out to you. I mean, my sister's an art teacher. Hi, Jane. Mm. Um, So shout out to all the art teachers who um, create kind of accessible art for students, whether it be in the private or public space. And, you know, we, you and I have talked about the fact that public art education is um, getting harder and harder to um, vouch for, especially in school systems as budgets get cut. And that's always one of the first places, art and music. So uh, trying know, to keep sadly. that accessible for all students is important. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to give a shout out to a teacher I used to work with when I worked in public schools. Arlene Mandudis was a seasoned veteran band director. And I remember one time, she might not even remember this, we were sitting in a staff meeting and the county was doing the same thing they did every year. And that was threatened to cut the art budget and cut the art program. Music and art are first on the chopping block. Like I'm not telling anybody anything new, but 
what Arlene, like she, she was just like slouched back just with this look on her face, like, here we go again. And her comment was just stuck with me for so many years because she pointed out she wasn't crowing the same thing everyone else did. She was like, you know, this is always the first thing they want to cut. However, when we've got those photographers in the building that are freshening up the web page and creating <laughs> brochures about how fabulous the education programs are, where do they come? They come in our rooms. They want to take pictures of kids holding tubas and kids painting and smiling. And all these, all this artistic doing is the first thing on the front page they want to tout as this well-rounded education of kids again, smiling. <laughs> and that's just stuck with me. It's ironic. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Well, I got to get some more tea, Claire. So um, it's been great <laughs> we talking to you. We can only record for as long as Zach has tea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is true. It is. It's good. All right, Claire. Well, thanks, Zach, great for letting me you. rant and Absolutely. rave. Let's do it again next time. <laughs> All right. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Bye.